Well, good morning again. I want to thank Chris and the worship team for leading us uh, in worship this morning. I'm thankful that uh, you are here. As we start today, I want to say one quick thing that I didn't mention a minute ago about uh, our summer hospitality challenge. Hopefully you've seen this in the announcements or in a church email recently. Uh, I, I heard recently something that was interesting to me. I heard that in between the ages of 20 and 50 years old, During this period of your life, if you live in America, that you will spend around 28,000 hours eating. Between those 30 years, you'll spend 28,000 hours eating. I want you just to let that kind of sink in for a minute. That is 1,160 days eating. That's 3.7 years eating. Right? It's sort of staggering when you think about that. And so we spend so much of our time around the table. Kevin reminded us that this meal that we shared just a minute ago is the most important meal that we can eat each week. But what we are after is not just eating meals, but connecting with people in relationship around the table. And so part of the, the idea behind this Summer Hospitality Challenge, we've done this before. I think the last time we did it was 2016. And, so, and I haven't really highlighted it as much as I've wanted to, and so I wanted to take just a minute and encourage you. We're kind of about halfway through the summer or so, and so you still have plenty of time to participate in this. And so really all this, this challenge is, is, is this, share a meal with someone. Uh, over this course of the, of the rest of the summer, invite somebody into your home, invite yourself to somebody else's home. This is a really great way to get a meal, you know, ha- make a meal happen. You can invite yourself to somebody else's house, meet at a restaurant. I don't care if you have it at your house, meet at a restaurant, meet for coffee, whatever works best for you. And then, and this is the key, as you're spending time together, intentionally choose to take the conversation to a deeper place. Right? We could talk about all the things going on in our country. You could talk about politics and sports and weather and how hot it is. And all those kind of conversations are always there and they kind of get tiring, quite honestly. But I want to encourage you to spend some time talking about life and faith in Jesus. And, and so my, my question for you is, will you accept this challenge? Right? Will you accept the challenge to share intentional time with people around tables over the next six weeks or so and allow the Holy Spirit to show up? Uh, with the time that we have remaining. And, and so really this kind of grows out of just a desire to, to connect again after a really difficult couple of years for many of us, kind of coming out of a lot of isolation and distancing and not doing this thing as regularly. And, and for, now, for months now, most of us have been kind of back into the routines of the normal life. So, but I don't want us to just be in the routine of life. I want us to be spending some time intentionally looking for ways to connect with God and with one another in deeper ways. And so that's what this is about. I encourage you to take advantage of that. Look at your calendar. Find some time to, to spend with other people. People here in our church family, a neighbor that you have not gotten to know, that you want to get to know, or you want to get to know more deeply. Uh, whoever the Lord brings to your heart and to your mind is who I would encourage you to, to sh- try to share a meal with in the coming weeks. So with that, I want to ask you to pray with me, and we're going to jump into our sermon this morning. Father, we are again thankful for a chance to spend some time together in your word, and we pray, Father, as we do often, that you will open our eyes and that we might see, that you'll open our ears, that we might hear, that you'll help our hearts to be receptive to what it is that you want us to receive this morning, that we'll be attentive to your spirit and the work 
that you want to do in us in individually and in us collectively as a church. We pray in the name of Christ. And the church said, Amen. <clears throat> so a few weeks ago, we started a summer series, uh, ser- a summer sermon series that we are calling Half Truths. And, and in this series, we're looking at statements that get used a lot in our culture. Many of them include God's name, sound, somewhat true. Uh, But none of them, we are finding, are actually in the Bible. These statements I have found, as I've thought through them, are most often used when when we're trying to encourage somebody, when we're trying to to offer some comfort to someone, uh, maybe because they're going through a difficult time. And that is certainly the case with this morning's statement that we're going to look at. If you've already looked at the bulletin, you already know that we're going to look at this statement, God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. And I know some of you are already ahead of me and you're saying, now wait a second, Doug, you just said that none of these statements are in the Bible. And I've let it slide the other couple of weeks in this sermon series, but that these phrases might not show up in the Bible. But I cannot let this one slide because I know that this one is in the Bible. I have the verse hanging on the wall at my house. And of course, if that's you, the verse that you would be referring to is Jeremiah 29, 11, which says this, for I know the plans I have for you. And you're already like, see, I told you it was in the Bible, Doug. Declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now, and I need to say before I do anything else in the sermon, I have to stop and just say this word really quickly. I want to start by saying, yes, this verse is in the Bible. I will give you that. And I want to say as well that if this is your favorite verse, and I know for some of you it is, that my goal today, if you have it hanging on the wall of your house or you have have it highlighted in your Bible and underlined, my goal today is really not to change it from being your favorite verse today. I'm great with you keeping all the home decorations that you want to keep. I simply today hope that you gain some additional insight into what I believe this verse is actually saying. And this verse is actually God speaking to Israel through the prophet Jeremiah. And God is is warning Israel about their upcoming captivity because of their rebellion. Think about these words and what is happening. God is warning Israel about their upcoming captivity because of their rebellion. And what's important to know about this verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, is that after this verse, things get worse for Israel. They don't get better. Right? Israel struggles more after this verse, after these words are spoken, than they have up to this moment. They're about to be taken into captivity by the nation of Babylon for 70 years. So that's interesting, right? Because if we read it the the way that it's often read, that God has a plan for your life, God has a plan for Israel, Right? If this is God's plan, if God's plan is to prosper them and not harm them, then why are they getting conquered by Babylon? Why are they getting dragged out of Israel as captives? Why would they become exiles? Is that God's plan? Is that that's what's going on here? I think to understand Jeremiah 20, 29, 11, we have to look at the verse right before it, Jeremiah 29, verse 10, for some more context. This is what it says immediately before 29.11. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, 
I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. When you read that verse in connection with Jeremiah 29, 11, what you find is that God is actually reminding Israel that they are about to what they are about what they are about to experience. They're about to be carried off from their home by the Babylonians. And that he's reminding them that even though that will happen, it will not last forever. Even though that will happen, it will not last forever. Eventually it will come to an end. And if you know anything about the story and the way that it all plays out, you know that sure enough, after 70 years, you know what happens? 70 years of Babylonian captivity, and all of a sudden, a new world superpower comes into the picture. Persia. Persia comes in and attacks Babylon and wins. Babylon's been defeated, and now Persia is on top of the, the global food chain. Right? And when you defeat a nation, this is what happens. You're now in control of all the residents of that nation. So Cyrus, the king of Persia at the time, lets the Israelites go back home, which is exactly what had been prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah 70 years before. Listen to how Ezra tells about the Israelites returning home. This is what it says in Ezra 1.1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, right, the first year that he's reigning over now he's conquered Babylon, and now it's his first year in control of this entire area. Babylon's out of the picture. In order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. And his proclamation, if you keep reading, says, Israelites can return to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple which had been destroyed because of all these battles that were happening. And the reason all of this matters is because it shapes how we read Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And when we read this verse in its context, we have to hear the you as Israel. The you is a plural you to the nation of Israel. The promises that God is making, God is making to the nation of Israel, not to individual Christians thousands of years later living in our time. Now, some of you, I can hear you already saying, yeah, but, right? And I want to, so I'll, I'll answer the yeah, but, because I think there are still some things we can learn from this verse. That doesn't, what I'm saying about God speaking to Israel doesn't mean that there's nothing we can learn. We can't, you know, we can't learn anything from this verse. We can. And so here are a few things that I think we can learn from Jeremiah 29, 11. I think we can learn that God is committed to humanity. That God is not going to give up on human beings. That God is faithful to keep God's covenant. And God is trustworthy that God will do what God says that God will do. Right? Even when we don't. Because in, in Jeremiah 29, Israel had not been faithful. And God is still planning to be faithful. But I think, even though we can learn these things, I think it's a bit of a stretch to take a promise that was made to a, the nation of Israel and apply it personally to me, individually, to the point that we believe that God has my life all planned out, which is typically how this verse gets interpreted. God has a plan for my life, right? You hear the difference. 
the plural you to Israel and the individual singular me, my life. I have known people that held this view, held to this view that God has a plan for my life to the point that they thought that God had one plan for their life, like one singular plan, and that their job in life was to figure out what that plan was. This might not be you, but I guarantee you that there are people in your life that feel this way. This is the way they think about this idea, that God has a singular plan for their life, and their job is to figure out what that plan is. But there are several, I think, issues with this idea. For example, how does someone know when and if they have following, they're following the plan? Or is the plan they're following the right plan? Right? And then, really, the second thing, what if things don't work out? Did you mess up? Did God mess up? Did you miss something along the way that you were supposed to catch? Years ago, there was a, a young lady that Lana and I were friends with. This young lady, she was a leader. She was committed to the Lord. And she had graduated from high school, and she had gone to college. And, and she was a sophomore in college, and, and she was really struggling with some decisions about her life. What am I going to do, and where am I going to go, and who am I going to be, and what, what am I going to you know, get my degree in in college, and, and how, how am I going to plan out this thing? She was thinking a lot about her future. And she had been told for years, as we learned through conversation with her, by well-meaning people that God has a plan for your life. But she couldn't figure out what that plan was, and so she was struggling with her faith because she felt like there was something wrong with her or something wrong with God or that she wasn't hearing clearly. Where was she supposed to go to find these God-sized plans that were apparently laid out for her? And I told her, we told her what I want to say to you this morning. And that is this. God's plan is not one thing. There are any number of things that God might want to do with your life and my life. You have gifts that God has given you that can be used in any number of ways. And maybe the best way that I have heard this idea described and discussed is to think about it this way. God's plan for your life, you could probably put that plan in quotes, God's plan for your life is more like a game plan than it is a blueprint. God's plan for your life is more like a game plan than it is like a blueprint. And I know I'm a sports person, so this might not help you if you're not a sports person, but just kind of hang with me for a second. Think about this for a minute. If a builder has a blueprint and one thing is off, Right? It, it messes up the final result. If one thing is off, it messes up the final result. So if this is how you view your life, while it might feel, I'll give you, it might feel comforting at times. There is so much pressure on the individual to figure out how to make it all work. Because you can't do anything without being certain, 100% certain that this is what you're supposed to do or you risk messing up the whole thing, right? You with me? A blueprint makes knowledge and knowing what you're supposed to do more important than obedience, even if you don't know what you're supposed to do and just being faithful, right? You make one wrong decision. What if I, was I supposed, would I marry the right person? Would I, was I supposed to take that job? 
Was I supposed to spend the money the way that I spent it? Was I supposed to fill in the blank, right? One wrong decision and your life just gets off course. Maybe it's a small thing and it's just kind of slightly off course. But then by the time you get way down here, maybe you've made a lot of wrong decisions and you, and you blame it on the fact that you never really lived into God's plan. But if we compare that idea to a game plan and thinking about it as a game plan, if a coach has a game plan, there will be multiple different ways that things could happen in the course of a game. We know what the goal is to win the game, but throughout the game there are going to be things that are unpredictable and unplanned that you have to adjust and account for in order to keep the goal in line, in view. And the coach is aware of this, right? They, they plan for this, they're prepared for this, but there's constant adjusting. And I think that this is more like the way that it works in your life. If that image doesn't work for you, maybe think about it like this. When you are going to a destination, if you have a map, an app that you, know, you put your, your address into and you pull up your map on your phone, if you put your destination into your phone and you start from your current location, if, you're, if you use Google Maps like I do, I don't know, maybe other app, you know, map apps do this, but there's multiple routes that can get you to your def- destination, right? And I think that may, that may be another helpful way to think about it. That God has a general direction for your life. But the way that you get to that end could be accomplished in a variety of different ways. In, multiple, in most cases, there are multiple doors, I think, that might be available for you and I to walk through in any given situation. And God's plan for you is to use wisdom and guidance and the gifts that you have been given by the Spirit to make a decision and to walk through the door. I think what God is interested in is your answer to the question, will you follow me? And then if you say, yes, I will follow you, then you spend the rest of your life doing just that, following wherever God may lead. There's another issue, though, with this blueprint idea that I just have to at least acknowledge and address this morning. And, and it's my, my, my example would be look around at our world, at our lives. Right? If a blueprint view of life is God's plan, I would suggest that it doesn't provide an adequate explanation for suffering. Like if God has a single plan and every small detail has been planned out by God, it might work out great for you, but there are a lot of people's stories that have been really, really hard. Or had hard in them during certain seasons, right? And if God's plan is a blueprint, then what you find very quickly is that you get to the point where you could have, you, you might have made God responsible for some terrible things. Really big things like the Holocaust and wars and famines and pandemics and hunger and slavery and so on. But also personal things with your own struggles and your own suffering. Like experiencing the end of a marriage. This was God's plan, losing a job. This is what you want from me, God? Not getting the job, worse, right? Could be worse, the unexpected death of a loved one that you didn't count on, plan on, or plan for. That wasn't in your imagined future. Or receiving a bad diagnosis. If God is in control of every single thing, then all of that would have happened just the way 
that God intended for it to happen. And I can't buy it. The fact, that, the fact is, I believe that humans have free will and our choices have real consequences. And it isn't in God's plan for suffering and struggle to come into our lives. And I, I really think this is important. I'm going to camp out here for just a second because I want, you to, I want to challenge you to pay attention this week and the coming weeks to the interactions that you have with people in your life. Maybe there are people who have faith in God. Maybe there are people who don't really have a faith in Jesus and have struggled to believe in God. But I want you just to pay attention, and I, I, I promise you that some of you will hear it come up when your antenna is up to be listening for it. Just this week, I had a conversation with a friend, and they were sharing with me about their, a friend of theirs that had been diagnosed with cancer, bad cancer, stage four. And the lady with cancer, her husband wasn't a follower of Jesus, and so my friend is telling me this story. And he is struggling with his wife's diagnosis. And he said, I'm being told this story, he said, if there is a God, why would he take my wife from me and our son? And I've been thinking about that story as I was getting ready for this morning and not able to get it out of my mind because people buy into this idea all the time that God is the one doing this to them. That God is the one doing this to them. And so part of the reason that we need to understand what the Bible means when the Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 11, that God has a plan for your life, it's important that we understand this phrase so that we can speak truthfully about God, honestly. We are God's people and we need to be able to speak truthfully about God so that we can say with confidence whenever someone says, why would God do this to me? We can say to them with confidence, friends. This is not God's work. The enemy did this. God is not out out torturing people and inflicting suffering on people. That idea does exist in our world, and there are some Christians who believe that idea. But I do not believe that this is what God does or who God is. And the reason that I don't believe that is because I think it's inconsistent with God's nature. If God is love then God cannot also be doing that to you. This does not mean, however, that God is not working and God is not active because God is always working and active. But God is not micromanaging us like a bunch of pieces on a chessboard. And here's the truth that I would suggest that is actually closer to what the Bible says about God's plan. It's this. The Bible emphasizes faith over clarity. I want you to think for a second about the heroes of the Bible. You could go to Hebrews chapter 11. You could pick people who aren't even listed in Hebrews Hebrews chapter 11. The heroes heroes of the Bible did not know in most cases what they were doing or where they were going, but they trusted God, and they trusted that as they trusted God, and they did what they thought was best, right? They made the best decisions they could make in the moment. And along the way, most of them, if not all of them, experience challenges and setbacks. And I I believe that this is closer to what the Bible actually teaches about a plan, is that God wants us to live by faith, like we just sang. And I will admit 
I will admit to you, because again, somebody might be thinking about examples in their mind, I will admit that there do seem to be particular moments in Scripture when God has a specific plan for certain people. And so a question that we might ask is, how do I know if I'm one of those people? And so I'll offer these thoughts in response to that. If you are ever walking through the wilderness, maybe on a mountain, and you see a bush that is on fire but is not burning up, and a voice comes from that bush, it probably is that God, there's probably a good chance that God has a specific plan for your life. If you're ever on a boat and there is a big storm, and the suggestion comes up that in order to get rid of the storm, they need to throw you overboard, and they do, and then you get swallowed by a big fish and spit out on dry land after three days, God probably has a specific plan for your life. Or if you're a virgin and you somehow become pregnant and are visited by an angel, God probably has a specific plan for your life. And I'm being kind of silly about that to make the point that most of us are not going to have those kind of experiences. Most of us are going to live our lives with less clarity about God's plan and more just commitment to live in the ordinary of life. Washing dishes and changing diapers and going to work and going to school and making friends with our neighbors and taking the casserole and raising our kids and praying with friends and all the things that are involved in a life of faith. I can't list all of them, right? Most of us are going to live our lives with less clarity about, is this thing that I'm doing the thing that God wants me to do? And the answer is, if you feel led to do it, then yes, do it. In the name of Jesus Christ, do it. And that requires faith. Because what God uses are all our little decisions to bring glory and honor to his name. Ultimately, the thing that the Bible is really clear about, I believe, is that God's desire for us is that we look and live like Jesus Christ. And to be like Jesus, we must, we must start by doing what Jesus did. And above all the things that Jesus did, his first and most important action was and is love. In Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, in the, the message, it says it this way. Watch what God does and then do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us but to give every, everything of himself to us. Love like that. What I would suggest this morning is that God's plan is that you are transformed more and more and more and more to look like Jesus Christ. And the primary step to looking like Jesus Christ is keeping company with Jesus Christ. We will become like Jesus in so much as we have placed ourselves next to Jesus and are walking with him in life. And if we're doing that, where you live and what you do for a job and where you go and how you spend your life, all those things are going to happen and they're going to be happening in step with Jesus. 
You have to live somewhere. You have to work somewhere. You have to do certain things in life. And sometimes because we don't know if it's God's plan, we don't do anything at all. And that's not being faithful. And so we watch Jesus' life and we do what Jesus does. How do who does Jesus love? Who does Jesus love? And how does Jesus love? And how does Jesus speak? And then we do those things. And as we do those things, you'll be living out God's plan for your life, becoming more and more like Jesus every day. And, and certainly, will we experience setbacks and challenges? 100%. Absolutely. And in future weeks of this series, I'm going to look at the statements that are probably the most common of all the statements we'll look at this summer. Everything happens for a reason, and God will never give you more than you can handle. And I'll talk more about some of that, the setbacks and stuff in those sermons. But I want to say that setbacks and challenges and the unexpected are part of the game. They're part of life. But these things do not happen because God is making them happen. We experience, experience these things, church, because the enemy is still working in our world. And the enemy wants to trip you up and to cause you to stumble and to devour you if possible. And so when these happen, my encouragement is to don't give up, to hold on to Jesus, to hold on to the church, the community of faith, and know that on the journey of life, what we get invited into is a life of faith, full of unexpected and surprising highs and lows around every corner. And on every step of the journey, we can know and trust that God is committed to you, and that God is faithful, and that God is trustworthy, and that God will keep the covenants that God has made. That God's plan is more about who you are becoming over everything else. And God cares so much about this plan that he gave Christ for it, that Jesus gave his life to it, and that God sent his presence, the Holy Spirit, to the world to live inside of our hearts to help us love and live like Jesus Christ so that we might, as his people, live more fully into his plan for our life and for the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that on the journey of life that what we get invited to is not certainty and always having clarity, but we get invited into faith. And we're thankful. We're thankful that we get to choose this life, that we have the free will to choose many of the steps that we will take in life. And I pray, Father, that you'll give us as we live our lives courage, conviction, confidence to know that you're walking with us, that you are good and faithful and trustworthy, that you will be with us every step of the way. That you're not interested in punishing and inflicting suffering on people. And that we can speak confidently about who you are and what you are and how you work in the lives of humanity. Certainly knowing that there are decisions that we all make that have consequences that we have to live with but also knowing that even in those, when they get us in a direction that we do not intend or do not want, that your grace is sufficient even in those moments. 
and that you can adjust and correct and still get us and our lives to the end destination, the end of the road, the end of the game. We're thankful, Father, that you love us this way and that you've not ever forsaken or abandoned humans ever. And we're thankful that 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 promise to Israel is is still true in many ways for us that, that you're going to be committed every step of the way. We pray that these truths will sink into our hearts and our minds this morning, that you'll help us to believe them so that we might live in the way that you want us to live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand with me this morning, we're going to sing another song and would invite you to worship together as we sing. If you have any prayer needs, we certainly want to be aware of those and would invite you to share those as well. Let's sing together.